Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is up? Welcome to the Los Angeles Dodgers podcast on the Believe Network. I am J.P. Hornstra with the Southern California News Group. And we've got a lot to talk about. The Dodgers are going for their 107th win of the season against the San Diego Padres on Tuesday night as I record. That would be a franchise record. Their magic number to clinch home field advantage through the World Series is four. David Price just got activated from the injured list. Yancy Almonte could be coming back tomorrow. Tony Gonsolin is making a rehab start tonight and... Blake trying and play catch today. All good things. And yet. And yet. What is that undertone of pessimism I see lining your thought bubbles? I can see it. Believe me. I can see through your phone, through your headphones, into your thought bubble. I see the undertone of pessimism. Look, this is the 10th year in a row that the Dodgers have made the playoffs. We've had a lot of practice thinking about what the postseason should and could look like at this time of year. And I think what we tend to do, most of us anyway, is to plan out the ideal picture-perfect scenario and then modify our expectations as needed once the playoffs are clinched. The more modifying we do, the less comfortable we tend to get about seeing the Dodgers winning the championship. So just to recap, in the last month, the Dodgers have seen their closer pitch himself out of the closer's job. They've seen their best setup man come off of the injured list and then go back on. We've seen Dustin May come off of the injured list and then go back on. And we've seen Tony Gonsolin go on the injured list, but not come back off yet. Oh, and did I mention that Chris Taylor and Cody Bellinger still haven't figured it out at the plate and that Mookie Betts is having his worst month of the season? Now, that's a lot of modifying to do. I get it. I get it. In the case of Mookie Betts, I think there isn't much room for consternation I don't know if any of you subscribe to Joe Sheehan's newsletter, but he recently argued that Betts is second only to Mike Trout among the greatest players of this generation, like pretty convincingly. And if Trout ends up, I don't know, top 10, top five player of all time, that means Mookie is pretty close to an inner circle Hall of Famer, if not one himself. I mean, we'll see. He's 29. He's got some time. But this is an all-time great player in his prime. I think he'll be fine. But let's go down the list of concerns in order because there are some more real concerns among those that I mentioned. This is a solo episode today. Um, I actually called up Sean Green last week. We did a great interview. I sat down to record the episode uh, fully, produce it, launch it, 
and none of our interview was captured on the phone. <laughs> so consider this like an emergency makeup show in which the airing of grievances takes center stage. Um, it's like the Festivus of podcast episodes, and I'm just going to do all the talking and, and air all the Dodgers grievances. So uh, before I do that, though, let's not lose sight of the forest for the trees. This could very well be the best Dodger team in franchise history. The Dodgers joined the National League in 1890. That was a long time ago. I'd tell you to ask your grandfather for a better historical assessment than I just gave you, but now that Roger Angel is no longer with us, I don't trust any grandfathers out there uh, to, to tell you which was the best Dodger team of all time. This might be it. Feeling pretty confident in that. Uh, let's start with Chris Taylor and Cody Bellinger. Let's just start there. I have a hard time not putting the two players together because their surface similarities on a practical level actually run a little bit deeper than you might expect. So Chris Taylor and Cody Bellinger, they might be the Dodgers' eight and nine hitters if the playoffs started tomorrow. They'd probably be starting in left field and center field, respectively. They are each striking out in more than 30% of their plate appearances this month. That would probably be fine if they were hitting a home run every 10 to 15 plate appearances, but they aren't. Bellinger hasn't hit a home run since August 21st, and Taylor has two home runs in September as of Monday's off day. In other words, that's as many as Austin Barnes has in September, in twice as many at-bats. These are the only two below-average hitters who I think have a chance of starting a game for the Dodgers in October. It's truly the two flies in the ointment here. Let's take a closer look, because of the two, I'm actually worried less about Bellinger, as crazy as that sounds. I think it is still an open question, at least outside of the organization, if not inside, whether he'll even be tendered a contract after the season. But in the meantime... Cody Bellinger has been in this position before. If his power stroke isn't available to him in October, he has shown the ability to shorten up his stroke and put the ball in play, use his leg speed to beat one out, just make contact. We saw him do that in Game 5 of last year's NLDS in San Francisco and drive in the game-winning run to beat the Giants to win the series. Throw in his defense in center field, and Cody Bellinger is still somebody you would probably rather have in your starting lineup than not. Like, I can think of better center fielders who will be in the postseason, but in the context of the Dodgers lineup, he's not going to kill you by himself. The problem is when you combine two below average hitters hitting back to back potentially, potentially every day. Chris Taylor's slash line, since he came back from his foot fracture in August, is 181, 276, 308. That adds up to a 585 OPS. His batting average on balls in play is 270, which is not that far below average, so it's not as if he's repeatedly getting robbed out there. He has started 35 games in that span. Do you want to guess how many of those 35 games he didn't strike out once? Four. Four. 
That that is against a group of pitchers who are measurably worse than the guys he can expect to face in October. Like if Chris Taylor pulls an AJ Pollock and goes 0 for 13 with 11 strikeouts, like Pollock did in the NLDS 2019 against the Nationals, I can't honestly say I would be surprised. The popular solution to this is just give Taylor's at bats to Trace Thompson. And I think with a left-hander on the mound, if not lefties and righties, that's a defensible position because Trace Thompson is just as competent defensively as Taylor is in left field. And he's a little more likely to get a hold of one at the plate. More likely to strike out too, but also more likely to walk. Trace Thompson has zero postseason experience to speak of, but given his age, he's 31 years old, and given his demeanor, he's a calm player on the field, he's a calm guy off the field, I just can't envision the game speeding up on him all of a sudden just because it's October. That would surprise me for Trace Thompson. Mix in a few Joey Gallo at-bats against certain right-handed pitchers, and I think that platoon makes more sense for the Dodgers in left field than sending Chris Taylor out there every day. I will add further to that by saying that Gavin Lux is quite possibly the third best defensive second baseman on this team behind Chris Taylor and Mookie Betts. For all the athletic plays Gavin Lux makes in the field, and look, he does take away hits up the middle. We've seen that in some big situations too. I don't know that he's the safest player out there because he has a habit of throwing the ball away. Would you rather have Taylor in your starting lineup? or have him on the bench to replace Gavin Lux in the field for like the 8th or ninth inning. I know what I feel. I don't know what you all feel, but Chris Taylor only has about a week to change my mind on this. All right, let's move on. Craig Kimbrell might not be on the NLDS roster as things stand today. As crazy as that sounds, given all that we've seen in the last few months, you got to remember the pretext for the Dodgers getting Craig Kimbrell from the White Sox at the end of spring training. Last season, Kimbrell was traded from the Cubs to the White Sox to pitch the eighth inning and set up Liam Hendricks. Now, Craig Kimbrell has nearly 400 saves in his career. He's the all-time active saves leader. He has never been an eighth inning guy. He was going to have to be an eighth inning guy if the White Sox were to keep him on their roster all season. So, it made sense for the White Sox to trade him. It made sense for the Dodgers to trade A.J. Pollock. Very sensible one-for-one swap of major leaguers, if you ask me. Now, if you really want to take the glass-half-full approach, Craig Kimbrell had been losing his grip on the ninth-inning save situation even before he switched to Let It Go as his walkout song. By taking him out of the ninth-inning mix entirely, Dave Roberts makes sure that this is not going to be a point of contention any longer than it has to be. The problem for Craig Kimbrell is how do you use him at all if you're not using him in the one situation that he is shown to be good at in his career? I don't know that you do, and I don't know that that's a bad thing. I'm a little hesitant to get into hypothetical eight-man bullpens, and I'll explain that later, but Without Craig Kimbrell, 
you might open up a spot for a pretty good pitcher who would otherwise be on the bubble for this roster. Let's get into it a little bit here. Let's say that there are six locks for the Dodgers bullpen. You got Evan Phillips, Bruce Dark Radderall, Caleb Ferguson, Chris Martin, Alex Vezia, Tommy Canley. Those guys don't have to worry. They're in. Yancy Almonte, to me, he's a lock if he's healthy. And that leaves only one more spot. Would Blake Trinan be healthy in time to claim that spot? Or do you go with the safe veteran like David Price? Do you go with the guy who's made more appearances than either of those guys, both of them combined, Phil Bickford? Or do you do what I think will end up happening, which is that six starting pitchers find their way in? We know that Julio Urias, Clayton Kershaw, Tyler Anderson, and Andrew Heaney would be the rotation in that order in the NLDS. Tony Gonsolin, if he's healthy in time, would be the fourth guy. We'll learn more about that soon enough. Dustin May just needs to get healthy enough to pitch one inning to grab that last spot. And that's your NLDS roster if Blake Trinan doesn't make it back in time. I predict. It's predicated on one of Trinan and May being healthy. Is that too much to ask? I don't know. We'll see. If not, there's a little bit of drama there. Remember two things now. The Dodgers and every team can change their 26-man roster after each playoff round. And there are no days off between Games 3 and Game 7 of the NLCS. Dave Roberts last week came out and said that Julio Arias and Clayton Kershaw will not pitch on short rest. Ideally, the Dodgers would draw it up that Arias pitches game one, Kershaw game two in the NLDS, and then they're able to come back on short rest, on regular rest rather, in games three and games four of the NLCS. So you will need to plan on having five starters in the NLCS. And the Dodgers only have four healthy ones right now. In the worst case scenario, Tony Gonsolin, Dustin May, and Blake Trinan aren't ready to go at all in the next round. In the best case scenario, I suppose that doesn't matter. The Dodgers would sweep the NLDS and they don't need those three pitchers until maybe game two of the NLCS. In the next best-case scenario, the NLDS goes to four games. Andrew Heaney starts, Dodgers win, series over. Or some combination of Tony Gonsolin, Dustin May, and Blake Trinan are healthy. They give you five or six innings, clinch the game, clinch the series in four or five games. The worst-case scenario, I suppose it's possible the Dodgers would get eliminated in three or four games. That would qualify as the worst case scenario or maybe the NLDS goes the full five games and Gonsolin, May, and Trinan are not healthy not able to give you the length the Dodgers need then it's a question of how are you patching together nine innings in a potential win or go home scenario the answer probably depends on how the first three or four games go but I think you see the larger point here there is a lot of uncertainty around some very real, very important scenarios that could manifest as early as the first round of this postseason. 
Because look, in a best of five series, the best team does not always win. In a best of seven series, the best team does not always win. We saw what happened last year when Dave Roberts decided that game five in San Francisco was an all-hands-on-deck scenario against the Giants. The pitching staff was not in good shape in the NLCS when it came time to play the Atlanta Braves. That series felt like a Darwinian survival of the fittest scenario. The Braves happened to be the healthier team. Congrats to them. Now look, there's always uncertainty every postseason. Certainty is an illusion that we convince ourselves of by looking at the regular season standings and holding them up as predictive. I don't know who the Dodgers are going to face in the NLDS, but I'll tell you this right now. Whoever they are, they have a better chance of winning that series than their record right now indicates. That's just how the postseason works. If you are looking for an area of concern, it's what happens if they get into any of these series in a winner-take-all situation because we just don't know who will be healthy enough to pitch. Take away Tony Gonsolin, take away Dustin May and or Blake Trinan, and the Dodgers are missing up to three of their better pitchers. Throw those guys in, and it becomes a very different game plan, whether they pitch early in the series or whether you're holding on to them until late. I guess the good news is the Dodgers have such a deep roster that those scenarios might not manifest at all. Ever since Max Muncy and Justin Turner turned back into Max Muncy and Justin Turner, the Dodgers lineup has had the potential to embarrass any opposing pitcher. Any team in the National League, at least, would exchange the Dodgers' problems for their own. Everything I'm talking about here, these are good problems to have as problems go. I just can't remember a Dodger team going into the postseason with such a wide range of possible 26-man rosters. It's crazy. I do not envy the people in the planning room. If Andrew Friedman wants to trade his paycheck for mine for a week, that's cool. I still don't envy the task. All right, that's it for this week. If I can get the record button to work, we will have Sean Green back on in no time. Talk some playoffs. Shout out to Albert Pujols for hitting two souvenir balls at Dodger Stadium last Friday. It never ceases to amaze me how the story of the Dodgers franchise intersects with history time and again. Baseball history, United States history, world history. It always happens. It'll happen again next week. Until then, be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.